That's right, they're playing video games for money. And I'm definitely not gonna let uh, Mass Effect in my house. The level of violence on video games. It might be hazardous to physical and mental health. Pokemon world is a world of the demonic. Then there's the argument that video games can be art. They're a world phenomenon. Welcome to Hit Point Pals, where we nerd out about video games and the culture of play. This is episode 34. I'm your host, Travis Lean. With me today, we have Will Suit. And we have Rebecca Markley. Hello, hello. And for, for this month, for the month of, no, for this week, in this month of October, our October surprise, we're, that's nah, a different thing. <laughs> for, <laughs> for October, for the week of, fuck off, for Halloween week. We're going to be talking about horror games a little bit. Um, but first, uh, just a reminder, you can find all of our episodes at hitpointpals.com. If you're enjoying the show, drop us a review. Let your friends know. Will, what have you what, what have you been playing this week? Have you been playing anything spooky? Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, I played a game called Lost in Vivo. Wow, I have never heard of this. Yeah, I had never heard of it either. Um apparently it, uh, it was it's this first person i say apparently although i've played it it is this first person kind of low poly horror game kind of like silent hill but from first person uh you play somebody who has some sort of unbeknownst anxieties or problems in their past and uh the game starts off after like a therapy session we kind of assume and you're walking your service dog down the street and you get caught in a big storm and somehow he gets washed down a storm drain oh Oh, no no. you have to jump into the sewers to go find a way to get your your service dog back can you describe the presentation style for me uh because I've never looked at screenshots or anything. Uh, it's a first-person like PlayStation One game. It's really low. Got it. Okay. Holly. Um, the lighting is really good. Though. I like. It's just cool. Something cool. about it I really like, and I liked Silent Hill One, and this game was really neat. And it wasn't actually that like it was. It was the kind of horror that I can take. Like I didn't like have a heart attack or just like have to like stop playing the game i like the fact that even a retro game or uh like a retro effectively styled game can just have great lighting like that's not a limitation yeah of, that's of like one, it's or... like oh the textures aren't great or there's you know the models don't look all that good lighting that can yeah. be fine that can be real right. good or sound design like the, mm-hmm. those two things can just they can be very nice um but yeah uh i got the good ending when i beat the game I said, wow, that was very fun. And uh, I started a new game plus mode when I finished. And there were many things that were like different. And I realized like, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to run through this because I know everything. It's it's different. Uh, what kind of a horror game is this? Uh, it's first person. You can have weapons, but fighting is not that important. It's just kind of a it's not survival horror it's it's got some puzzles it's just kind of an exploration thing i suppose i don't know how you okay. categorize that is it more like atmospheric than like yes atmospheric and maybe startling. psychological interesting but i'd lean towards atmospheric but uh yeah it's it's pretty fun and apparently there are special game modes like if you play the game at midnight it's it's a different game Whoa. it's got like a mini game that's cool that yeah that's cool and uh yeah i've been having, i've been having fun with it even though i beat it in like two or three hours i i feel it was well worth it it was like 10 bucks i think which i think was a fair price for a very good game cool lost in vivo i'll take a look at it rebecca yeah. have you been doing anything scary um 
I mean, I did some some scary driving in the rain. Um, That's very terrifying. But um, no, I haven't been doing a lot of scary things. Um, I am. We're finally running um, the the Sunless Citadel tomorrow, so hopefully that will be kind of spooky for people yeah. playing. Um, you can always make it spooky. Yeah, I'm gonna add a lot of like really like. You can rattle and, some chains under the table. Yeah, yeah, and add some like really like high intense like dungeon suspense music, and then make characters roll random uh, like stealth checks just for just for shits and giggles. Um, I will also roll dice randomly for shits and giggles just to keep people on their toes. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's really it. For me, as far as spooky things happening in my life, I still need to figure out what I'm going to be for Halloween. What are you being for Halloween? I'm not being anything. I haven't. Yeah, I'm not going to be anything. <sighs> Damn it. I was hoping to collect some ideas or steal <laughs> Sorry. Some, some concepts from everybody. Because what, 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 what are you usually for Halloween? I'm what types not of things usually are you... anything for Halloween. Oh, I see. I'm just supposed to go to a party, and um, I guess that's what is to be expected when you go to a Halloween party. How how high effort uh-huh. do will this party expect your costume to be? Um, that's a great question. I have no idea. I should I should figure that out because if it's really low effort, then I probably won't have to do anything. I can just show up. But I guess I have a lot of uh, friends who cosplay, so I have like these like ridiculous expectations for what costumes ought to be, and I'm just like I will never, ever, ever be able to to do that. Um, nor do I really want to. So yeah, it's it's hard to find the balance between like what you can find at Goodwill and what people spend literally thousands and thousands of dollars on. Um, but whatever, I'll figure it out. I have like a few days. <laughs> What about you, Will and, I, Will and I played a game called Man of Medan. Uh, it's uh, it's the first entry in this thing called the Dark Pictures Anthology, where they are story-heavy horror games. Uh, there is a co-op feature where two players or two friends can play over the internet, which is what we did. Uh, each of us played a character. The game kind of bounced us between char- characters seemingly at random. It, uh, I didn't like the game. It wasn't uh, a good game. Yeah. It was interesting. Uh, these are the developers of a game that I have not played, but a game that I, it's kind of an iconic-ish PS4 exclusive called uh, Until Dawn, which is like a slasher film turned video game, uh, completely single player, where you... Um, just try to survive, I guess, and have as many characters survive the slasher film as you can. Um, and that it was a that that was a case where uh, the developers found that a lot of people really loved playing this game, uh, kind of like together on their couch or like on the internet streaming over Twitch. And it was kind of this this like it ended up being this sort of community heavy thing, even though it was purely a single player designed experience. And so when they went on to do this um, Man of Medan. Uh, they implemented co-op in a way that, uh, I mean, I wouldn't have played it if it didn't have the co-op. So the story was interesting. Uh, There was a, there was a, there was a ghost ship. There's just some, there's some spooky stuff going on and people are having hallucinations. And we had, we ran into this issue where I had to ask Will for his interpretation of this, of this question as we were playing I, I wasn't sure if we were supposed to be communicating with one another or not yeah, over like, voice chat. It's 
you'd think this would be a very obvious like, oh, you, you are supposed to or oh, you are not. But there are parts of that game where it would make sense if you didn't communicate with one another, like mm -hmm. uh, over like a like a voice chat thing. But then yeah. there are parts of that game where you're exploring together and it would make no sense if you couldn't talk to one another. And yeah. I, I just I don't understand because I, I, I... There, there's many well-designed asymmetric co-op games. Uh, there's We Were Here, the We Were Here series mm -hmm. um, that has people you have to feed information to one another to solve your respective puzzles. Um, there's what else is there? Uh, a way out has you a way out has split screen. Mm -hmm. uh, again, you're so you're helping one another. Uh, you're each of you has tasks that you have to do to help the other. But then in this game, it's kind of just you're doing your own separate thing. And sometimes we would talk to each other over voice about what we were doing. And other times we would just kind of fumble about. And it does have this asymmetric thing where sometimes one player is hallucinating and the other player is not. Which that in itself, I think, is fine. Dead mm -hmm. Space did that, the Dead Space series in in its third installment. Um, and it, that was cool. But the thing is in man of medan sometimes you're hallucinating about the other player as in they look like an enemy and you're prompted to like shoot them or hit them which i did the first time it happened in the prologue and after that we kind of had this knowledge that yeah don't trust things let's just communicate with one another so that we can like not kill each other and we never did um, and that raised a lot of questions for me about like what was the what was the developer's intent here? Are you supposed to be communicating? Did we just like did did we have enough forethought to kind of prevent this earlier? Would other people have maybe taken longer to figure this stuff out? I don't know. It seemed pretty obvious to me. So I had a lot of questions about just the design of this game. I don't know about you. Uh, yeah, pretty much those same questions. Like the only death we had in the game was because i purposefully stopped doing like these quick time events right and then we got a death and it was like okay so all right so the but then i don't know some of the rules kind of became pretty apparent like travis said with the whole one player is hallucinating but the other isn't i think it's once, like okay what it's like fool us once okay cool I, but like you're not gonna get us again with that yeah and it, the first time it happened it was very neat because i had a different perspective of things and i was like wait a minute who did this? And then I talked with you about what you saw, and I said, oh, no, yeah, you killed me. Yeah, I was like, there was a little boy, and he was trying to kill me, so I shot him. And you were like, hmm. That, wasn't, uh, a little, that was that, me. That wasn't a ghost that boy. Was me. That was me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. And then we were like, oh, okay, so. Yeah, then it took us to the present day. We, then we got, our, we got our main characters, sort of. Yeah. And then we just went from there. Uh, I will say it's one of the funniest horror games I've ever played. Um namely due to the fact that every so often your character will get to make like a, a, a decision or will get to say something and that's how you kind of like choose where the story goes but when it when it comes to this yeah uh, they'll be the characters will be having a conversation and then the camera will like snap to somebody's like shifty looking eyes as they decide what they want to say and it, it is unbelievably funny as the person who isn't making the decision because you still get to see their like sweating forehead <laughs> And it just makes everybody look like they're a little on edge in all the wrong situations. Uh, 
Yeah, something I felt was that it was a very, like, high-def game. Like, the characters are very beautifully rendered, very highly detailed. Mm -hmm. And I think because of this, the developers really wanted to show that off. Because (laughs) it's a very cinematic game. It uses camera angles like a movie. And there's a lot of times during dialogue where I felt this wasn't filmed like a movie like the camera was just a bit too close to people Mm -hmm. in a way that made me feel uncomfortable (laughs) and felt like they just really wanted to show off the high detail in these character models which like okay cool i i get it you're like you're proud of yourself but like this doesn't feel good to play (laughs) i always felt a lot of relief when we went to like a wide angle because oh there were just some like and sometimes below the chin like low camera angles too it's like what is happening someone like a cinematographer needed to have been hired to set up these in-game cameras it was very frustrating do you think that was just to like make it seem a little bit more intense or like creepy no it just seemed like kind of like a first time amateur mistake yeah i I wouldn't say it makes it feel more intense if anything it it takes me out of the entire environment and then i'm just yeah i mean i'm I'm talking about conversations that are like setting up the story like nothing scary is happening it's just like you're getting introduced to the characters on the deck of the boat when they're about to go out and dive and they're just like talking about stuff to learn so that you know about the characters this guy his girlfriend's coming on the trip he's he wants to propose to her he's talking to his brother about it and the camera's like just too close to them on the whole uh yeah yeah i mean <laughs> uh there's even a a post credits teaser for their next entry in the dark uh-huh. pictures anthology and it looks neat i probably won't pick it up um I'll yeah it's set in like new england or web something? spacing on the period of time there like salem witch trials era uh it seems like the haunting stuff is related to that but the other characters seem like they're kind of modern day oh interesting okay um but yeah i mean it looks neat but after playing man of medan i don't really have an interest in playing their next Yeah, i think if i ever came back to these games it would be like when they were all out and probably bundled together or something i think that would be fun oh okay one thing we haven't mentioned is it's like an anthology series and like twilight zone or tales from the crypt there is a narrator narrator guy yeah i will say the room like this like library study and it's like you're sitting across the desk while he's got this book of stories i like that uh the voice acting the performance i think is great there's a very funny television style intro after the prologue where yes. he is just it's it's game opening credits and this guy is just slow-mo walking through his mansion uh with all of the uh paintings on the walls that are like animated it's just very like 90s television or something yeah and not in a good way though um and it's i can see what they're going for here and i and i like the idea of this narrator character um at least in the setup uh, this goofy intro and then he kind of s- s- pulls a book out of a shelf and he's like are you ready for this story and it's like this is kind of fun this is like this is kitschy this is just really fun but then i grew to dislike him as the game went on because periods in the game um like uh, something big will happen and then the screen will go black and things will come back up and you are in the office with this guy and he says oh my things are going quite poorly for your character then it's like dude i was just i know things are going poorly get let me back in the story and then he asks would you like a hint and we just kept saying no but then he proceeds to go hmm, well all right then i won't give you a hint but things might not be what they appear and it's like that's called a hint genius <laughs> and it's just why 
he he like beats you over the head i mean in this story his clues pretty much beat you over the head with the like the whole hallucination thing things aren't what they seem and like it's just i don't know it was just so absurd and i felt it undermined the horror and the story they were trying to build by giving you such blatant hints even when you don't yeah there's even a point in the third act where two characters discuss the the asymmetrical hallucinations to one another and at that point i just it was very eye-rolly it was just like okay we didn't need this anyone got any good ghost stories (sighs) maybe (laughs) i have like a a ghosty experience um, it was a couple of years ago. I was just going about some chores outside. I was taking the garbage out on like a Thursday night. I was entirely sober. I wasn't super stressed <laughs> out. Like I was totally I was just like minding my own business, just like Thursday evening in like November. And I'm taking like the garbage out to the curb. And I like sort of see this person wearing like the silvery jacket just like running like directly at me just like down the street just like running as like fast as they can and i was just like holy fuck and then they just disappeared and i was just like what because it was like a person and i could hear like the footsteps and like the heavy breathing and i was like what is going on and then it was how close to you were they when they disappeared um about like 20 ish feet did you witness the actual disappearance? I mean, it was just there and it was just not there. Like, I don't know if I like blinked and it just so like, like you you saw him like clip out of existence. Yeah, just like yeah, mm-hmm. very weird, Damn. very weird. And I was like super rattled after that because it was <laughs> I was just like there was a person like running at me and then they disappeared and like I don't <laughs> I didn't like see them like start running. It was just sort of like they were running and then they were gone, and I was like whoa, I don't know. Very spooky. Damn. Yeah. Yikes. But not also not really spooky. It was just very like just odd. Just odd. It's a strange <laughs> occurrence. Just a weird Ugh. thing. Yeah, I don't really have. I don't have a ghost story. I have an, a, a, my own spooky experience. No What's ghosts. Your spooky experience. Uh, so this was a few years ago. Um, my friend and I were like hanging out, and he had he was gonna go down to um. I know none of the listeners will know where this is, but uh, Christ the King to play basketball with some of his friends. Um, <laughs> I know the, the Christian school in our hometown. Uh, yes. Um, and I was going to, and he was, since he was going to go do that, he was going to drop me off at a different friend's house for a while. And we were going to then like meet up again later and head back to his place. So it's like late at night and pretty foggy outside. It doesn't really get foggy here often or not that mm-hmm. densely, but it was quite foggy and we're going down the hill and, after you leave this kind of like section of our town, there's this long stretch of road that doesn't really have any street lights. It's just kind of got like a river on one side and some farms and other things. Yeah. And it was really, really foggy. Couldn't really see anything. So we're driving. It's pretty... a great spot for like drunk driving accidents. Oh, yeah. And stuff. It's fantastic. Um, so we're driving pretty slowly because, you know, low visibility. Don't want to. Don't want to hit anything. So we're driving and we're talking. What time um, of day was this? This would have been like, I had to be like, yeah, I had just said it. Yeah, it's probably like eight at night. So not that late, but like dark because it's like the winter or near there. 
and like we're driving okay nothing's going on we're just talking and then uh up ahead we see some like in the fog we kind of see some um like police lights like red and, and blue and we're like oh great and like travis said please don't let it be like a drunk driving accident or something but i wouldn't be surprised if it was that or a speeder and we're like okay that's weird and we're driving up and we see a cop car on the side of the road with the doors open but we don't see anybody and we're like okay that's kind of weird so we keep driving and then in the road we see a little a, some spots and we're like that's kind of strange and then the spots start to get denser and denser until it's like a streak and then this giant thing is in the road and there's lots of blood and we just keep driving by because there are some cones set up, but there's nobody there. Can you define a giant thing? It looked like a half of a bear. It wasn't oh a God. horse, and I, it might have been a humongous dog. And they had put cones around it? Like a cone, like reflective cones so that you don't like run into it so you can like drive around. Do you think it was something that escaped from the Hanford site? Uh, <laughs> I hope not. Um, some like radioactive monster. <laughs> and we see some more cop cars with their doors open, but there's nobody there. And there are no other cars on this road that is usually what? quite traffic. Whoa. What? And we that were just is like, so spooky. And we, were, and we were just like, maybe, um, Maybe they're uh, somewhere we just can't see because it's foggy. I hope so. Break. But it was very, very weird. We just like, all right, we sped up and just got out of there. And then, oh my like, God, two and a half hours or somewhere in there, we were heading back and it's it's not foggy anymore. Um, well, it's not that foggy. Uh, there are no cop cars. There's nothing in the road. There are no streaks. It's like it had been power washed, but I don't know how it would have dried that quickly at night in like the fall or winter Whoa! and it was very weird and it was just like <laughs> i don't know because it, that's it, definitely some like cryptid stuff it doesn't make sense that but it was like so I, I don't know and that was that's the last like spooky thing i can think of when you, you say it looked like, like half of a bear wait what did it Rebecca's asking if you got a threatening message. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, no. I mean, maybe somebody left half a dead bear in the road as a threat, but... Well, when you say that, half a dead bear, did you see, like, was there a part of it where it was, like, gory or, like, cut or something? Yes, there was a part that was pretty fucked up, kind of like if you okay. like like roadkill, like, or a deer got hit uh, by a car. Oh, geez. But it okay. was very large. And we're near ranches, and so maybe it was, like, a cow with a big downy coat or something yeah yeah yeah. because yeah, they yeah. get furry in the winter time yeah they do that's that's probably what it was and it must have like gotten probably. out of a pen and got hit because it was foggy which is but where know, was the car uh, that hit it i don't know where were the cops <laughs> so creepy and then there was there was just nothing there there was no blood on the road no, there, there was yeah yeah on the way back there was nothing it was like it never happened or it got cleaned very quickly so spooky i can I, what, was I, that, what was the time frame of like seeing it and then coming back yeah like yeah. two to three hours later oh okay so i'm assuming like i'm gonna assume cover it was up like something in two it was to three a, hours it was a cow they got hit some cops showed up and put up cones because they don't want another accident and then maybe they went to go like talk with somebody and we're probably just right out of view in the fog that, that's yeah, that's my that explanation sounds, sounds very reasonable or the other half of the cow ate all the cops oh, and then no. went into the river oh, no. yeah and then cleaned up its own mess and is out there it, 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 it ate <laughs> eating the rest other of its people. own body 
Yeah, it ate the cop cars, oh, it ate the cones, oh, it ate everything. Oh no, oh no. But that's <laughs> and a, it is a creepy yeah. radioactive monster from the Hanford site, which is why it's all being covered up. Damn. Well, you heard it here first, folks. We've uncovered <laughs> the truth of the Hanford site. We're all going to get shot <laughs> after this episode gets posted. <laughs> what about you, Travis? Do you have any sp- spooky things? I don't. I've never had an experience in my life where it seemed like anything paranormal had happened, really. Mm-hmm. Which I think is kind of a, a major reason why I don't really. I don't really believe in ghosts, although I do believe that people experience spooky things. So I guess I'm open to the idea that there are ghosts. But. Yeah. Um, I mean, a, a lot of the like, uh, like I've I've worked in places where people have, seem to have this sort of concept of like hallowed ground or whatever, and that seems to be a like a recurring theme with uh like ghost stories and stuff. Like the news station uh, that I worked at was, was like it, it used to be a like a like a crematorium or something, um, which is weird and kind of gross to think about. Um, and people, when I started working there, would tell me that, like, sometimes at night they would, like, hear things or, like, see ghosts. There were supposedly, like, ex-employees who had seen ghosts and stuff. But I had been there until, like, three in the morning before, and I'd never once saw a ghost. Um. I would not want to be there at three in the morning. No, I don't recommend At a former, uh, was it crematorium? Yeah, I believe that, that's what it was. Not cemetery funeral home. That's what I meant. I th- there's a there's a word that I might be forgetting. It's like, what is the what is the place you take people to like, dr- to like dress them up and I funeral home. I think home, it was. I, just, I don't know. I think it was a crematory. It had to have been a crematory. But a crematory you know, need like the cre- you you need to have like a giant oven, you know, to cremate yeah. people. So maybe a funeral home. Are you going to uncover it I, for us? I th- I think so. Yeah, no, it was yeah, yeah, here it is. It was totally a funeral home. Okay. Still- it's easy to find because once a year they just do the same news story with a new reporter because it's easy content. Um <laughs> And then the production facility that I work at now is like supposedly built on some sort of like ancient Indian burial ground oh, or something. Of course it is. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> I mean, most land is like ancient Indian land, or so, I guess not most land is ancient Indian burial ground, but our Native American burial it's ground. It's all stolen I suppose, land, like, you mean? Yeah, it's all stolen land, but I guess specifically a burial ground in this case. And I guess there's, uh, there have been janitors, and at least one currently working janitor uh, who hasn't quit due to this, who has like at night seen ghosts in the bathrooms or something. Um, this is what I've heard anyway from the night crew. I, although it. again, I was there once in the night, and I we did we were talking about this, and we all decided to go look in the bathroom for ghosts, and they weren't there, probably because we were looking for them. <laughs> probably. So, yeah, I know my mom used to have like because Filipino culture is very superstitious. My mom used to have like weird ghost stories about getting up in the middle of the night at her her house in like rural Philippines and like seeing a woman like in the hallway or something when she went to go to the bathroom or like she had this one story that I vaguely remember about um like a woman who like died or something or like killed herself and then she was seen as an apparition like hanging from a tree somewhere in the town i don't know there's just a lot of spooky stuff my mom also thought vampires were real oh um 
And yeah, I, that's something my dad told me was that like when I was when I was a baby, she was very concerned about keeping the window open or keeping the window cracked because she said the vampires could get me, which I guess is a thing that she really believes or believed. I don't really know what I, I don't know since moving away from the Philippines, if my mom still believes in ghosts, uh, probably fundamentally but i don't know maybe ghosts are like locale specific to the philippines and like there's not as many ghosts in the u.s i have no idea i haven't i haven't heard any about any ghost incidents from my mom that that aren't just about like her past in the philippines no no u.s based ghost incidents as far as i know that's really interesting also i feel like it would be really stressful if you did believe that vampires were real because they're so OP. <laughs> Can we nerf these things, please? Yeah. yeah. But it's funny, like, I, I say, like, I don't believe in, like, ghosts and stuff either because I don't see how they really make any sort of sense. Like, or, or I've never seen one. I've heard people say, talk about ghosts, but I've never seen one. Yet, if I'm going up a long flight of stairs and I turn off the lights behind me, oh, fuck. <laughs> I feel like there's all sorts of things behind me. Oh, even, yeah. though I, even though I know, like, there's nothing behind me except like nothing, but then yeah, I, I think, genuinely don't know why we are like that. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's like some human instinct that it's that it's like, hey man, it's dark. You can't see what's there. Think of the worst. That way, if it's better, you're fine. And if there is something bad there, you're already prepared. That's <laughs> I all I can. You're assume. already prepared to just be like stabbed in the back. <sighs> so shall we talk about spooky games? Yeah, we were going to talk about spooky games. So why don't we? Why don't we take a break, and when we come back, we're going to start our conversation about horror games and other horror media, so we'll see you in a bit. Uh, so we're back. <laughs> we're talking about ghosts and horror. Um, oh, who, I, don't, I haven't played a whole ton of horror games in my life. Usually horror games, I think of like the Resident Evil saga and... Uh, that's about it. I don't know. <laughs> but it seems that, like, among people who try to classify things into genre, survival horror comes up a lot as this sort of, like, the main genre of horror games to a point where I'm pretty sure that all horror games are survival horror because the point of most games is to survive. And if there's horror, then it's just survival horror. I don't know. How do you guys define a genre? Uh, well... I mean, I guess I would define a genre as like many numerous shared traits, and if they share those traits, they're they're likely part of the same genre. But I guess for survival horror, I always just categorize that as like it has a lot of puzzles and like lots of inventory management. Okay, that's how I always thought yeah. of survival horror. I think you can argue that a lot of things are survival horror, but I think like the colloquial term of survival horror i think is pretty much what you're saying mm -hmm. and that's why i think like resident resident evil is kind of held up as like the survival horror because that's got lots of inventory management and it's mostly puzzles which is funny to me that survival horror relies heavily on like items in your pockets yeah i was just gonna say that like is it is it to try to like make it more realistic or like just resource management is challenging in general um, I think like it adds like a more like at, makes the stakes higher yeah i think it's i think it's just making the stakes higher because you know maybe there are things in your way for these puzzles and you you want to have room for the right things and you don't know when you'll find something new to pick up 
and maybe yeah, if you do or... you don't have room for it and then you you will dread having to go back and drop some things off and then come back and get it yeah or you you're very low on ammo and you see like a yeah. container or something or or there's an area that you haven't explored yet that might contain ammo but it's like a it's the risk right of going through this area or potentially going through a trap or something to get the thing that you need to progress yeah so as far as horror games people have played uh let's just talk about some examples and like why they worked for you or didn't work for you and kind of what we look for when we set out to play a horror game are we just talking about games in general or are we going to go through the yeah, genre I think at a time? So. okay well we can we can we can go through genre so like i was i was trying to figure out like how people kind of talk about horror games and categorize them um i mentioned survival horror seemed to kind of be the big one looked like most horror games kind of fell under survival horror um another term seemed like it uh, another term that people seemed to kind of all agree on was psychological horror um I don't have a great definition for psychological horror, but it seems like it's games that kind of play with your sense of reality. So uh, a popular example is Amnesia the Dark Descent, which has the, the madness feature, right? Where mm-hmm. like the longer you stay in the dark, the quicker your guy starts to kind of lose his sanity and in turn you kind of lose like finite control over his functions as the, the player who's play trying to control the guy in the game your job becomes a lot more difficult um one that i played recently was hellblade uh senua's sacrifice which uh really great game um one of the uh, one of the most unnerving things about it is that they have recorded basically from start to finish while you're playing the game there is a there's a, a series of voices that just are existing in your head and they've recorded them using binaural audio techniques and so it sounds like they're right behind you whispering in your ears for most of the game it is it's very cool and Ooh. also pretty scary oh, if, that's so if you're scary. sensitive to that sort of thing but yeah it's a very effective technique uh i can talk about hellblade a little bit more later in this conversation i guess and then and then another one I found was just like action horror, right? So like Fear, which I think is a fantastic game still to this day. But like, you've got things like, can I say Doom? Does that work? Yeah, I think. What like is Doom Three. Well, it's like it's like shoot 'em up, but it's got like satanic themes or like ghost themes, and like it's not necessarily primarily intended to be scary <clears throat> because I think when you have weapons it kind of diminishes the effectiveness of horror but it's just kind of intended to be like a genre mashup like fear you've got fear you're like a special ops agent and you're dealing with the situation that involves like paranatural entities um so there are moments that like there are there are scenes and there are sequences that are like very horror film very horror trope inspired like a, a room of flames hallucinations a little girl who uh, it's it's very darkly lit too. So like sometimes you'll come around a corner and you'll see a little girl and it's like oh oh that startled me. But then mm-hmm. the other half of the game is like uh, clearing through enemies, getting through areas to get to the next area. So it's just kind of it's a I I made it sound like it it's very dysfunctional. Somehow that game in particular like it's all it's it's all seamlessly blended together. But I think action horror is sort of like this concept of like just taking two things that don't usually go together 
and putting them together in a way where you're not necessarily supposed to take either of them 100% seriously. That's just my interpretation of action horror. I don't know if yeah. anyone else, if Will, if you have I, I, <laughs> anything I mean, to I, add I'd say that's that. pretty good. I, I wouldn't know how to put that into, like, words. Yeah, anyone have any... Anyone have any choice games that they've played in their lifetimes that they want to talk about? And we can kind of start talking about what we like about about horror. Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, I, I guess I'll go back back to these two games that I, I kind of found similar. Like I mentioned one earlier, uh, Lost in Vivo and Silent Hill. Okay. Um, they have some puzzles. I don't think they're as heavy on it as Resident Evil. But it's. I think the big focus for those games is atmosphere, and really yeah. getting like absorbed into it. Um, like with Red, with Resident Evil, there's a lot of things like oh no zombies and oh no do I have enough ammunition and stuff like that. With Lost in Vivo, very early on, there's this one scare that I think is one of it. It just it's so simple and it works so well. At the very beginning of the game, your dog has been washed into these tunnels and you have to whistle for him and you can hear your dog bark. And there are sometimes junctions in the storm drains or whatever, and you can hear which way your dog is. So you're, you're kind of doing this for a bit. And it becomes pretty perceived. Like, there's nothing... You're in the storm drain. There's nothing there. And you're just whistling for your dog. And at one point, you whistle for your dog, and then something whistles back, and you don't hear a bark. <laughs> and, I was, and that, for me, was just like, oh, shit. Oh, my oh, gosh. That. No. That's very good. It, 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 as soon as you're just like, yeah, I'm just, you know, whistling for my dog it's dark Ooh, can't see okay this isn't very spooky ha <laughs> oh oh no <laughs> like that that to me was just oh the worst yeah, uh, it was very like very like psychological horror. like yeah because it's like uh, <laughs> unsettling there's nothing uh, well, immediately there's nothing there but i don't want to know what is just right out of you mm -hmm. it's just Oh man, that that to me it worked fantastically. Um, Silent Hill has an element that I think gets the same emotion out of me, where you you have a radio with you, uh, and when something is something is near, the radio starts to produce static because something's interfering with it, and the static can get louder. But you're in a very foggy place, or maybe in a very dark room, so you can't see, but you can tell how far it is from you, but you don't know which way. And that's another thing of, I, I in a, right now or right around me, there's nothing wrong, but just right out of you, there is something, and I don't know, I have no concept of what it is. That is just, that's the stuff that I really like in horror. I can stand that just barely, but it, it just, ugh, ugh, that's the stuff that really chills me to my core. <laughs> it's like when you're like, I don't know, walking down a street at night or like in your house and the lights are off and you hear something and you're like, okay, that could, okay. What was that? I don't uh, uh. Stuff like that. I think is, is much more effective to me in the long run than like a jump scare where something jumps out at you and goes. Bleh! Yeah. Cause that, that's not being scared. That's just getting startled and then going, okay, well that's done. Whereas a sense of dread can keep going and keep going. Yeah, I will say Hellblade, I had a sense of dread from the start to the end of Ooh. that game. There's not, I might be wrong, I don't think there's any jump scares in the game, but it's still like one of the most frightening games I've ever played. Um, 
uh, part of it is that like they set you up with this concept and i think it depends on how much you know about the game but for me i knew very little so i don't know if 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 will if you know anything about uh, hellblade not but really I, Okay, cool. So I I won't go so far as to spoil anything, but um, they do set you up with this concept of permadeath and uh-huh. this uh, like a like a like a taint or like an infection that is crawling up your arm, and the game tells you that when it reaches your head, uh, it will you'll have to start over basically. Oof. And so like many hours into the game, like I I was doing I think a pretty good job, like my Dark Souls sort of instincts, because that game is bit bit be, uh, built on that same framework mm-hmm. of the, uh, for the combat at least. Um, I didn't know that going into the game. Uh, the the front of it was kind of like a for a, for a bit it was kind of like a third person walking sim. Um, very creepy atmosphere. A lot of cool like uh, like Norse mythological based lore to learn about and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like tomes and stuff that you, you can hear basically an audio file of a guy telling you some stories that are kind of creepy and pretty enlightening about uh, that sort of culture anyway. Um, and then when you fight your first enemy, uh, it's one of those games that doesn't bother with tutorials or anything, but like I, I, I kind of recognized it as uh, this camera angle looks like I'm playing Dark Souls. Why don't I just try all the Dark Souls controls? And sure enough, that's what the game was. Um, but the enemies are very frightening. Uh, they're very tall. They're, like Dark Souls, I think, is scary in a different way, in a different sort of way. Like it, I don't necessarily have like a huge sense of dread or anything, but mm-hmm. like it is th- people are designed to be scary and there are scary moments, especially like when you have banked a lot of souls and you're in a fight things can get very scary um hellblade is like that but on top of that it's like the art direction is all made to frighten you so you've got these big guys with like i don't know just broad shoulders like horns on their heads just like demonic entities i don't even know how to describe they're making very scary sounds when they're attacking um and so the combat just feels just very visceral it feels very high stakes because i don't want to die and have the infection come on my arm anymore um and then when you're going from area to area trying to solve these puzzles you just constantly have these voices in your head bickering with one another um when you get stuck they'll they'll talk about like oh she's so stupid oh what an idiot uh and they they kind of have different personalities like there's one who's more encouraging and there's one who's just like very distraught and just she's always like oh she's going to get us killed oh this this stupid girl she's just going to get us killed and they they're very repetitive too uh it's very unnerving to just have them accompanying you throughout the game sort of like your internal like your your self talk but like yeah, the but game. there's like some Norse mythology based around it, like reasons for them being there huh. and stuff like that. There's one sequence in particular, I think Will watched me play for a little bit, mm-hmm. where um you're in these caverns and there's like you basically you have to run from like uh from light space to light space and avoid the shadows, which is like a pretty easy game mechanic. But uh there's like this hound who like if you stay in the in the in the dark for too long he will just kill you um but just the way they do the presentation is just so uh it just like makes you clench up as you're running because like the screen is shaking like the people in your head are screaming um, it's just it's just it's very intense um and yeah like i don't usually 
I, I don't know. I don't usually seek out horror games. Well, the funny part is I didn't even know this was a horror game when I went in to play it. It's not really marketed as a horror game, but to me, it's kind of like, this is like one of the big pillars of horror, I think. Like, it, it does everything it's trying to do so well. Uh, I guess, Rebecca, did you, or, yeah. or Will, well, yeah, you or whoever. Yeah, I mean, I don't particularly enjoy the genre of horror just because I'm so, like, it. I guess the anxiety that it induces, like, carries with me into, like, real life so much more than I'm, like, already very anxious, so, like, I don't need any of that in my life. Um, and I wish I could, because I feel like horror is, like, a very cool, like, genre of media, and it seems like it does a lot of, like, really interesting things, um, you know, subverts a lot of, like, stereotypes and that kind of stuff. Um, mm. But alas, it's spooky and I don't like it. And I jump at like all the jump scares ever, even if they're just like a loud noise, I will flint. <laughs> like it's so bad. <laughs> um, like even in like just regular like action movies, like if there's a loud noise, I will I will jump. Um, happened a lot of the times in in Godzilla. And I was like, I'm so over this. This is not fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get really sweaty and like adrenaline just like coursing through your body and you're like oh god this isn't fun um but i have played um call of cthulhu which is a tabletop role-playing game that um sort of focuses a lot on like lovecraftian and like cosmic horror a lot of like unknowable threats that are very creepy a lot of tentacles um insanity not this knowing what is stuff. real or not real or who you can trust. Um, and it was really interesting to explore with the sort of like tabletop game as like you are with a party. Um, we just played the adventure that was in the, um, I guess, the Call of Cthulhu like rule book. And it was set in like the 1920s and you like had to rule up your character. I don't remember what my character's name was. I think it was like rosie or something like that but she had a lot of money and was like i don't really know why she was out in the woods i sort of just was like oh she was sort of like going on like a poverty tour of the united states like she was like a a, a performer and so she was like oh i'm gonna go out and get like a real man experience i suppose so that's why she was like in this town and she had like a butler to like carry all of her shit with her and um like all the other characters were a little bit more like realistic like there was a barber I forgot what his name was there was like a cop um oh and then cam was a like a mormon missionary <laughs> oh and so we like we ended up being like this team and we had to like go searching for this missing girl out in like the creepy woods in somewhere in new england i think it was like in vermont or something like that it was where the setting was um and it was really interesting to play a like a role-playing game that was like sort of set in 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 a in a setting that i was like familiar with that was like real to me and it wasn't just some like fantasy world um that made it a little bit more realistic and I think a little bit spookier because we played some um, Dungeons and Dragons that had a lot of like suspense and like call uh, uh, and like Lovecraftian type creatures. There is a specific there's like a warlock, which is a type of class 
that you sort of like make a deal with a, a devil is like the basis of the class. But in this case, you can make a deal with like with Cthulhu or with some sort of like otherworldly unknowable being that just like grants you like lots of like creepy Lovecraftian powers. Um, and mm-hmm. so that's kind of like, that was sort of like the inspiration for this, for the D and D campaign. Um, but I feel like it was kind of hard to just to get into it because I, I was like a orc. So <laughs> I don't know. It just felt like a little, it didn't really, it didn't feel as immersive as it did in, um, call of cthulhu where like we were in real life we had normal person names we were all human we were really bad at all of our skills um you roll with like a percentile die and so i feel like it was very easy to be like i only have a two percent chance of this going right and then you roll it and then of course no you don't make it because two percent is nothing and that just i don't know it just was a lot more realistic um it gave me nightmares um, I had like literal nightmares after we played, like after the sessions that we played where, um, you know, you, as you were going through the woods, you start like having weird visions and you come across weird, creepy people. And like, I would dream about like the visions and like the weird creepy people that we encountered and all the blood and like the dismembered people and like this creepy, like inky black lake that had like these monsters coming out of it. And it was so <laughs> terrifying um there was like a little bit of like music like atmospheric music that was creepy i know like um in the D game like there was a lot of like heavy metal that was listened to when we were like in combat and i feel like that just made me like more stressed out as yeah. opposed to like feeling the the creepy energy or the intense suspense what a what are we what elements of of these games are what are making them effective to us personally because i feel like people must have different uh people people must resonate differently with different uh approaches to horror mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. this is my hypothesis i don't know if i can prove it but um cuz i know for me like i i love resident evil 2 um the just like the way that your movement is constrained in that game uh and the way that mr x is like imminent presence is just so imposing uh and just like how scary it is when you're trying to do something in one room and you hear him getting closer and closer but your character has very limited mobility um in a way that like i i feel like in a lot of games we're we're used to the idea of like a video game is is there kind of for escapism and so you're you're usually given uh, like the ability to move pretty quickly to jump and to crouch and stuff like that and like none of those are really things you can do in resident evil 2 you just you kind of you move at the pace that the game wants you to move you can run but it's not like a normal video game run it's like like a it's like a heightened sense of realism sort of run it's like this is you can run like a person but you can't run like a person in a video game Mm -hmm. so those sort of things all like to me that it's a really great combination of of limitation of mechanics uh building this sort of atmosphere and creating an imminent threat that really works for me I, i also really like resident evil 4 um that's another case of like very limited mobility difficult to uh shoot things so it's you've got to do a lot of 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 management 
Um, you've got to decide, like, you've got to take your shots and take them s smartly, I guess, take them intelligently and kind of plan your routes so that you don't get, you know, back into a corner surrounded by shambling pitchfork folk who yell things at you. Um, what do other, what, what, what works for other people? Uh, I guess for me, the biggest draw in like horror, like the horror games that I, I've actually been able to like play is atmosphere. I, I don't do very well with like jump scares or like with most horror. I just get, I just get, I just feel so anxious. I have to stop. Like I've not been able to play Outlast because I just get so worked up that I have to stop because it's too much for me. I totally mm -hmm. feel you a hundred percent. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, I want to play a horror. It's like, oh, I want to play a horror game, but I won't because it's too scary. It's like, well, <laughs> you but know. you liked Resident Evil 2. Yeah, I liked Resident Evil 2. But what's Evil what's 2, the difference there? I think Resident Evil 2 didn't. I, th I can only think of like one jump scare it had because on in that, like, I can kind of like I can hear like the, the Mr. X guy approaching. Yeah. I can kind of like think there's a system there that I can like play around. I mean, that game was still really intense for me. But yeah. I was able to push through that because there weren't like things jumping out everywhere and just causing my heart rate to skyrocket for like 10 seconds. There's there's like a good number of what I'd say are jump scares, though, in that game. I can only think of like one. Like people are bursting through windows. Um, there, sometimes I had like not scripted jump scares, but like because of the way I had the camera, when I came around a corner, a zombie would yell at me and they're very loud. And that scared me, even though it didn't come with like a music sting or anything. Okay. I yeah. found that very unnerving. Uh, um, okay. There are parts when like Mr. X shows up and it's kind of a jump scare. Like the, he, he's just there. The one X thing that I can think of. The, the one thing when I think of a jump scare in that game, I was thinking of is when he smashes through a wall. Yeah. At one point I thought I died. <laughs> Like yeah, I had, yeah. I, had been, I, I had been able to run away from this guy and get around him, and I figured out his, how to avoid mm -hmm. this dude. And I was like, "Haha, this is easy!" And then he smashes through a wall, and I thought, "Yeah, yeah." That happened like, to me too. I was physically shaken. Yeah, because like I was, at my seat, I was just like, I moved. And what was horrifying about that is, with a lot of other games, there's a jump scare, and then it's back to silence, and you're just left very flustered. Oh yeah, but, but here this, you gotta he you breaks gotta through react. the wall, and immediately he's after you. So you you immediately have to start running and that was just like oh that was the worst experience <laughs> it was fun but just so terrible but on the whole i think for me it's 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 atmosphere and like creating this sense of like uncomfortable uncomfortableness and dread it's scary in a different way maybe maybe it's a different kind of horror i suppose a genre of horror games that that i kind of enjoy uh, is like the the genre that sort of came out of like Slender the Eight. Mm -hmm. It's weird because like I remember being in high school and like like hanging out with friends and like like very late at night and we would be on our computers and we would be downloading like games and stuff and there was one that had been making the rounds like slender the eight and it was very frightening and we came across other games that were like inspired by slender the eight i remember there was one that was like a just a very long staircase you might know what i'm talking about i don't know i have vague memories i think i've watched you play the, there's once. the scp games and stuff like that um and then games that kind of came out of the just kind of came out of the concept of slender the eight mm -hmm. um Things like that, where it's just a lot of it is just 
it's like a walking simulator but it's been transformed into a horror game rather than like like rather than like ruminations on life or or, or that sort of thing coming out of dear esther it's like it's the mechanics of a walking simulator but they've been adapted to scare you rather than relax you uh i've always kind of liked that sort of subgenre. like there's no really any standout games that i can think of but it's kind of like a sort of like a comfort genre to me where like you can just go into it and you know what you're gonna be playing for the most part and just kind of go through it damn any other concepts um Uh i guess for me what was fun and like what made call of cthulhu so like spooky and intense was sort of like the asymmetrical way that it impacted you because like sometimes you know like the 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 game master would be like okay so i i think my character stumbled into this like tent and it was inhabited by like students who were like out on a um, they were like art students and they were going to do sort of like live painting out in the woods and um i saw a painting of a like a dream that i'd had of like a scene and um so i had to like roll for insanity i like lost a lot of my sanity points and so i had to like and like ha- losing insanity like impacts your you know like how you're role playing of course but then also how you know like you are less capable of doing things because you're like you're less resilient and you like can't you're not you're you're a lot less effective and so like it makes the survival horror aspect a little bit more intense and it makes you like less reliable as like a source and you can't like help your your pals as well and so like that was i guess a fun way because like we we didn't tell each other like how many sanity we had um Mm. until like you know we really started losing the sanity points and then we'd be like oh my gosh i only have like you know like 20 of my sanity points left and then you know people would be like oh shit that's crazy like what are we going to do how are we going to like move forward but then like you know in character you had to just like communicate that with your your actions and like how you were behaving um and like are you just going to become really paranoid are you going to be like crazy and i just having each sort of like character manifest that or create that or bring that to life in in different ways was is what made call of cthulhu like especially spooky on top of just like the storytelling elements and like oh this is like a very unsettling situation and there's like creepy music playing and um why would i ever be out in the woods with with strangers (laughs) who knows (laughs) um right uh yeah you mentioned like a sanity system and i was talking a little bit about uh about amnesia the dark descent earlier and like i i'm curious what you guys think of that in terms of a mechanic because for some reason there's always sort of been a disconnect i mean i think there's naturally a disconnect because you as the player are definitely still sane but the game is telling you that you're not sane or your your sanity is draining um, I find it like an interesting mechanical challenge to sort of have to plan for, mm-hmm. and then when you get like into the thick of it, then you have to use your skills as the player to overcome it. But like, as a just purely as a concept, it has never really worked for me. Another game that has a sanity system is Sunless Sea, where that's the that's the sort of top down, uh, like text adventure heavy, but you're piloting a ship around uh, the like post-apocalyptic 
uh, Victorian era London or something. Um, and that's a case where like, if you, if you see, or if, if you're sea, if your boat is too far out at sea in the dark away from light for too long, your sanity will start draining and that can cause random events to happen. Like your crew members, like got in a fight and killed each other or something or one guy like just fucking couldn't take it and just killed himself just things like that uh i find that like obviously these are two very differently presented games one is like a first person uh survival horror game and the other is like a top-down strategy sort of real-time rpg management sort of game i liked the i i I guess I thought that the sanity system in Call of Cthulhu was compelling. I think because it was so roleplay heavy. Um, yeah. And, you know, like just depending upon like how you wanted your character to, to behave, like that's how it was. And, you know, obviously like your behavior is still like mediated by the, the game master. And if like you're being too sane, he'll tell you, or I guess they will tell you that, you know, like, hey, that's that, that's a little bit unreasonable. Like you're metagaming here. And then you'd be like, okay, cool. I'll 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 re revisit that or try that again. And so because it's like more collaborative and like you're sort of like you're telling the story together and there's like boundaries and it, you know it is set in like a more realistic setting and like there are, I guess, um stakes within the story can get I can like sort of make it seem a little bit more real than if it was just like, you know, like meat points. We've talked about this before, but like what what do hit points mean in a in a game? We sort of just kind of like it depends on like what the game is and like, you know, all that kind of all those sorts of things. But um Right. I guess it was I thought it was compelling, but maybe be only because there was like human interaction and playing pretend a little bit more i I guess i have one last game to talk about that's uh, horror but it doesn't have any jump scares Hmm. um and a lot of the game takes place like in in a in a populated region um it's this game called pathologic oh yeah um i mean it got a sequel recently but i i haven't gotten any time right. i haven't gotten it yet but i've played the original or classic hd is what it's called on steam pathologic classic hd which is a nightmarish name but um pathologic i'll let you set it up but i've heard that it's like very heavily twin peaks-esque uh yeah i'd, I'd say so um so uh, there are three playable characters and they all have events that are going to be happening in this uh town um, in this town, there's like this disease that is spreading throughout it. Um, and science so far hasn't been able to figure out a way to stop it. And religion that people are turning to isn't really helping either. It's it's developed by, I think, a Russian company. And it seems like it's some town in like Siberia, mm-hmm. perhaps. It's I mean, And the time period is kind of inspecific because it's it's got fantastical elements, but maybe it's like 1890s or 1900s, somewhere in there. Um, but there's a, a disease sweeping through this town and you have about 12 days. There are no jump scares, but you play, one of the characters is a medical student from a uh, university and you've traveled out to this town because you've heard rumors of somebody who has immortality. You get there and I believe you find that that guy is dead and you're very curious about what's going on and, and you're going to try and work with the townspeople to figure out who killed him and what's going on with this plague what this game does, I think, really well is yeah, there's no like giant monsters running around or real spooky ghosts or jump scares, but 
you are an outsider in this remote town that is very insular. You don't know what's going on. You're way out of your element. And you're just trying to like grapple with the environment you're in, knowing that you've only got 12 days. And as the game progresses, regions of the town are like condemned to the plague. And there's like corpses and, you know, people patrolling the streets because it's it's plague infested and you shouldn't be there. So without having jump scares, you're constantly reminded of this. You, you constantly feel this uncomfortable sense of like, you know, you're, you're, you don't know where you are, like homesick in a way. You're just in a place you don't want to be. And as time goes on, you're reminded more and more that this plague is a very real thing. And you feel this sense of like, I don't know, you, you need to quicken the pace, even though there's nothing like really maybe out to get you right away. But you, you can feel things are coming to a close. And there are three characters. I've only played one of them most of the way. I haven't beaten it because I just got a headache and I got stressed out. But <laughs> I would really like to go back and play through that game and like really spend time doing it. Like just with the with the twelve days, is it like a gameplay loop or is it just like a straight twelve days? Uh, I believe it's like a straight twelve days. And there are th- uh, I, I'm I think it's like Majora's Mask or something where like there are things happening in the town and they will happen, of course, regardless of whether you're there or not. So you mm-hmm. might miss something. So okay. sometimes you'll have a character tell you about this one thing and you you want to go check that out. But there's also this other person you really need to like talk to and get some questions from. And you have this thing of, I could go see this event, but what if something happens to the other person? Or what if, I don't know, like what if, well, how do these events tie together? And yeah, and I think the, the best part of that game, uh, atmosphere-wise, is the fact that you are an outsider in this kind of insular community. Like there's this part where, I'm wandering down these alleys in this kind of town. And then suddenly there's this woman tied to this thing getting burnt alive. And a lot of the townspeople are there watching. And they're not very shocked. And then I kind of just like show up with my gun and I'm like, hey, what what the fuck is going on? People are like, you don't get it. You outsiders, you're very funny. And they all just kind of go their separate ways. And it's like, okay, now I have to piece together what this is. Like, what are these rituals? What if there's something I stumble across and if i don't understand the context of it i won't know what it means and i think it's a game that like would probably take multiple playthroughs and it even has multiple characters so maybe multiple playthroughs of these multiple characters but it is just i would call it horror but it's so different from like other horror games when i think of horror what ending did you get in lost in vivo i got the good ending how many do you know how many endings there are I think there's four. Because I was looking at screenshots, and apparently there's a, Lost in Vivo has a pizza ending. Oh, I did not know that. Oh, so I guess you didn't get the pizza ending, but I got an ending where you escape and you reunite with your dog. Oh, oh you shouldn't have said that. That's very. That's fine. Uh, that's that's reasonable to assume. Yeah, I guess. I wanted the good ending to be bad. <laughs> no okay that doesn't that doesn't ruin the game because yeah. that's what you're trying to do anyway so, yeah, but there, there are so all that. you've done is confirmed that you can rescue your dog yes, which is and there are other endings which means one of them is well you know right um, so i could play and and still have the fear of you know not rescuing my dog yeah especially knowing that there are multiple endings of different types right, and one of them is the pizza ending so. yes which i did not know so maybe there's more than all right well, very neat very spooky pardon me very spooky uh should we take a break and then go to our thoughts and prayers segment 
Yes, that's yeah. good. We'll do that. And we're back, and we'll wrap up the podcast with our thoughts and prayers. Rebecca, what thoughts and prayers do you have for us this week? Um, my thoughts and prayers this week are with um, my zine press, Zines and Things. We had a very, very successful zine fest in Spokane this past weekend, and it was great. Met a lot of really cool people, sold a lot of zines, um, and it's Spokane kicked off like a, a sort of like a tour of the Pacific Northwest that me and my my zine partner Jessica are embarking on. So it was first of all, it was in Spokane, and next we're going, we're guess this weekend in a couple of days, we're going to Olympia. And then the second weekend of November, we're going to be at Short Run in Seattle. And um yeah, just like a lot of um last minute bookmaking has Uh monopolized my time just like the printer all the time stapler going you know and i have to like print um because we sold so much at spokane which i was not expecting i have to like replenish almost all of my book stock before um olympia and before short run so i don't know it, 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 it it's fun that's like, a, that's like a good problem though right yeah, it's I sold a very too good many problem things. to have um and yeah I'm, I'm i'm very pleased with that so very those are my cool. thoughts and prayers tell I, I people will. where tell people where they can go to find your uh your zines and things oh yeah you can find zines and things on instagram at zines and things and you can also find us online at zinesandthings.com. that's where you can buy our books and if you are in the portland area and you would like to participate in our um tell me a story reading series there's also a link where you can go to submit yourself um for consideration to i guess read at one of our reading events and we'd love to have you did you were you gonna ask something oh i was just gonna say i'm sending thoughts and prayers your way for great success i uh, (laughs) appreciate that i like how we do the thoughts and prayers as a uh, as a facetious segment but then we end up like actually trying to talk about how our thoughts and prayers (laughs) are being directed in different directions uh, my thoughts and prayers, I guess, real quick, are with uh, Paradox. Par- Paradox had their Paradox Con, and then as I as I kind of predicted a while back to to brag a little bit, um, <laughs> Crusader Kings so three smart. announced. Yes, I one hundred intelligence here. <laughs> um, Crusader Kings three is coming. Um, a while back, I talked about how. I suspected that because Crusader Kings 2 and all of its DLC were thrown together for a ridiculously cheap price in a humble bundle, that probably the next installment was just around the corner. And now I'm thinking about how, as someone who got into Crusader Kings 2 late and wants to go into Crusader Kings 3 in real time, I'm probably going to have to spend too much money on it. So I'm not looking forward to that. (laughs) It'll be worth it. Totally. Will it, though? It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. This is coming from somebody who got into Crusader Kings 2 a little early and had to buy all those DLCs. Okay, I mean, if you're being genuine, then Yeah, sure. I mean, it's my favorite Paradox strategy game. I mean, okay, my wallet despises me, but... Yeah, I mean, I love Crusader Kings 2. I'm just fun. not. I'm I'm just not looking forward to spending, like... How much, <laughs> how much is a Crusader Kings 2 DLC on launch? 
Uh, they can be somewhere 20 between bucks? 20 and 15 bucks. Okay. Holy Fury, I remember, was 20 I think I dropped the full 20 on that. Um, I don't think I paid full price for any of it, and I got the Humble Bundle, and I think I got it for, like, I, I think I bought, like, the original game for, like, super cheap. Yeah. Also, yeah, no, you, like, yeah, definitely. When that, yeah, I, I remember when I saw that bundle, like, I, a bit, for a second I was like, oh, no, now I suddenly have a lot of buyer's remorse. But then I had to rationalize with myself and go, well, like, but you love the game. Like, you've been playing it all this time. If you waited till now, then you wouldn't. You wouldn't love the game. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm being completely idiotic here. Um, anyway, I'm just, oh, I'm just excited. Yeah, do, for that. do your thoughts and prayers, though. Uh, well, well, real quick, I want to follow off that Crusader Kings sure, three thing. Real quick, ahead. it's just I'm excited for it. I, I'm absolutely gonna buy it. Uh, I, I know it won't have as many features as Crusader Kings two does now, but it'll have like lots of improvements and refinements, and it'll have 3D characters. That are kind of stylized. We won't have like just portraits anymore. It's like people, and there will, there will be like events, and you'll see the characters in their clothes posing and all this stuff. And it'll be it'll be fun. I'll get. To, I'll feel. I don't know. I feel like characters will be even more important in Crusader Kings Three. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of games series when they come out with a new installment. I feel like there's a lot of hype, and it feels like people are very excited about it in a way where I feel like like I'm missing out or something mm -hmm. like because I didn't play these early games as a kid like Final Fantasy games or like uh, Fire Emblem or Pokemon even it's like everyone gets very excited about these new entries when they come out and like I, I understand that there are these classic games and classic franchises but I never had really felt that sort of connection and I feel like I'm experiencing this in real time now <laughs> with, like uh, like Crusader Kings 2 is just such a such an open-ended game and such a cool tool for just experiencing a lot of interesting stories that like now I'm extremely pumped for the next installment in this series and I this must be how other people feel when like a Pokemon game is announced so yeah, those are my thoughts and prayers, Will. Uh, yeah, um, I well, tying into the release of Crusader Kings three, there is there has been an update for Crusader Kings two. Oh adds, yeah, um, uh, what was that called again? Ooh. The Monarch's Journey. Yeah, Monarch's Journey, um, where you have to play a certain character, and you have a like you've got like a list of objectives. Like real quick, I it's just on that note, there's there's some. Something funny is going on with Paradox uh, trying to like, like many other companies are doing, like Rockstar, I think trying to build out some sort of proprietary system for distributing their games. Yeah, their own because, launcher. Yeah, because so when I saw the announcement of the Monarch's Journey, I booted up Crusader Kings 2. Crusader Kings 2 always maybe or at least for a long time on its splash screen has an optional login to your Paradox account, which I've never done before. Um uh, to access the monarch's journey i had to do that yeah they're gonna tie it to that that way you can redeem your rewards by connecting your paradox account to your steam account and all this what? stuff how does the reward system work did you uh, do much with the monarch's journey i didn't understand uh, it uh so you you pick that like they've got that monarch's journey thing off to the side and you have to like yeah play that character that they've set for like those specific tasks or that day yeah, and um, it's like you have some basic objectives, like yeah, have like, two sons or something. You need to have a certain amount of sons living, and uh, if you meet that base requirement, you get a bronze, and you get certain points towards like a cosmetic unlock, which is already kind of weird that we're playing their older game to get cosmetics that might be paid for later. 
Yeah. Um, wait, hang on. Wait, say that again. I'm trying to process that. That like these things, I'm assuming if you cannot unlock them, will just be paid for. What? Well, now I'm, this is making less and less sense to me. I'm also lost. Well, okay, so you're playing through this game right now, and if you get, you can unlock cosmetic items for Crusader Kings Three. Oh, it's for the next game. I thought it was for this game. I thought it was for Crusader Kings Three. What? Because they're oh, getting I, did, I didn't realize that I, makes more sense. I thought they were for Crusader Kings Three because that way you have to link your account. And then they'll see, oh, yeah, you did win these challenges. Now, now you need to keep logging into this account to redeem these this rewards. Is, this is very goofy. But then I'm saying if you don't do these challenges, it would make no sense for them not to like release these in any form. And they can't put them in the base game because then what's the point of playing the challenge? So they're probably going to sell them as like a Monarch's Journey DLC pack for like five bucks. What are they? Are they going to do microtransactions per like mustache or something? I don't know. I I hope not. I doubt they'll do it per mustache. Like, I'm excited about Crusader Kings 3, but there's some like business oriented things that are worrying me. Yeah, like Crusader Kings 2 already has like some questionable practices with like, like I get paying for like a big content release. That makes sense. But sometimes they'll have like Iberian unit pack. Yeah. Five bucks. And and I'm used to that. But I think if Paradox starts getting like. I, I I think I tolerate where it's at right now. I think there's a line that they can't cross. No, I, they're I think really close to crossing too it. many people. If they start selling like mustaches or something for like Paradox coins, there's and you can only no buy them in increments of $10. They, uh, they, like that'll be just the worst. That would be I, awful. I will do it, but they are really close. 100% I 100% guarantee they're going to launch a launcher if they haven't already. Oh, absolutely. And they're going to want you to buy their games through the launcher and that's fine. You can like, tell because all their Paradox games have been updated to a new like game launcher and they're all the same really? format. Yeah, most oh, of them are okay. except for Crusader mm. Kings 2. I guess most of them are like a newer launcher. So yeah, that's coming. So um, for anyone out yeah. there who who fucking hates launchers, would you have I don't know, to go off? Would you have to like buy them again? Like buy the games that you already have from Paradox? Probably not. They'll probably no, keep if, the whole login no. thing. Because that would be so frustrating. Yeah, they'll probably have you. Does your Steam account already link? Uh, I don't think I, it does. I don't think I, I, don't think so. I don't think I've linked they'll it. Probably, they'll probably set up a, a, a link oh, or something. Uh, so uh, here's can... what it'll probably be. You start at Crusader Kings 3 and on the main menu you can log into your Paradox account. And since right. they did that on Crusader Kings 2 to get the Monarch Journey rewards, it will then give your Steam account those rewards because you're playing your Steam copy with your Paradox account, however that a works. Thing, a thing that would make me feel good if it if they did it was a system kind of like, um, you know how like, you know how some of the Total War games share DLC? Yes. If something like that happened, even if it was kind of superficial, I'm saying like psychologically, I would feel good. <laughs> like if they were like, oh, hey, you own like all of the base CK2 content. Here's like a bonus hat. I would be like, yay. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I get the The poor man. I get hat. The, yeah, I get, the, <laughs> I get the you spent hundreds of dollars on this hat. Broke that man's would, beard. My they, that would that would trick me into feeling good. That's that's all <laughs> I, I bet they'll say. do something like that. <laughs> like something small like that um but yeah i've been i've been doing these monarch journey things where you've got a base requirement like have two living sons and once you meet that requirement it then you get a bronze and you get some points towards a reward and then the requirement goes up to get a silver like have three living sons 
Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the Monarch's Journey like requirements are you can you, they they will go on for as long as you play this game but some of them are tied to a character which i didn't realize like the have living songs okay. one it's required to the character you start with and i only ever so if he it. dies then you're shit and you can't get any more points into that category okay and i'm assuming they keep changing who the character is for monarch's journey so you could start a new game and get another chance at a different character but other ones like um kill this many members of this one dynasty it's like oh yay i can do that Hell yeah or I've um, got centuries to do that yeah i made the mistake of doing it as quickly as i could which ex- made the line go extinct so i can't meet the request oh, i killed too no. many of them oh no that's um, funny and then there's stuff like conquer these certain territories and hold them and then after you meet a limit you need to requ- acquire more of them and i've actually i've really been liking this like you already do it when you play crusader kings 2 where you kind of like each step of the way you've got different objectives in your head like what you want to achieve and that always changes but i found it really neat to have like a set of constant objectives that i can keep working towards and keep in mind mm-hmm. and uh yeah i played i started it last night um and I, I played until like four in the morning and it was, it was not a good idea. It was, I, I could not stop. And I really, Oh man, I just, I just want to play one more year. I just want to play just one more year, just one more year or, you know, just, Oh, come on. Let me just, please let me just kill this like queen. I've got this plot. Please let me do it. Please. One more grand feast, one more marriage, one more betrothal. It just, it never ends. It's too good. That game is so fun. There was oh, there was an event in this game of the child the child's crusade or something where like a bunch of kids yeah. across Christendom, like some kid says, ah, God spoke to me and the angels will guide me to the Holy Land, yay! Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I think it, it might there's a historical event that might not have happened or it might have it might just be a myth where a bunch of kids were like, yeah, I'm gonna save the realm, but of course a bunch of medieval kids don't know how far the Holy Land is. And a lot of the kids ended up like just getting kidnapped or like abandoning or starving because they didn't know where to go. Um, but the worst rave of all time. Pretty much. But in this event, you get like many choices of how to respond to this kid proclaiming that he's going to go on crusade. You can say like, are you fucking stupid? Or you can <laughs> you can provide lots of money, funds, and put your prestige behind the kid because uh-huh. it would be a bit absurd for a king to say, yeah, I support the kids' crusade. But I was right. like, oh, I'm going to do this. So <laughs> I I spent so much money and provided many soldiers to the child's crusade. And then the, the, the many legions of the children, like, got near the Holy Land. And then the kid wrote to me requesting, like, oh, no, please help us. So I said, <laughs> absolutely. And many other lords in Europe did it, too. And then the kid won the crusade. Oh my god. And this little child established the kingdom of Jerusalem and he was given the title like like warrior of Christ or something like messenger of God or some shit. Wow. And he had a very high opinion of me and it was like hooray Christendom has won the day. Then <laughs> 2 years later, spoiler alert, having a bunch of kids in charge of a kingdom doesn't work. Um yeah. they all hated each other and then the Muslims were like, "Okay, we're just we're going to take back our land." <laughs> So they declared a jihad and all of Christendom was like, you're on your own on this one. So the kids were annihilated. And I invited the kid who had once been king back to my court. Wow. To hang out. 
And then what an arc it, it was, it was amazing. I had no idea that would actually happen. And I was very pleasantly surprised. And then, yeah, it was, uh, it's neat. It, it was very cool. And then later on, like when I stopped another crusade had been called and the kid at this point in the game, now in his sixties was promised all these lands. If the crusade won, and it was like, wow, this is like, this is neat. It's, I just love all these like characters and these stories that evolve. And I am excited for Crusader Kings 3 and to play more Crusader Kings 2. Those are my very long thoughts and prayers. I pray for my sins. <laughs> yeah. I play for the souls of the children. Rest in peace, young children. I, part of me has the same, the, the same worry, I guess, about like doing the transition from uh, Civ Five to Civ Six, mm -hmm. which was which w it turned out to be kind of unfounded. But it was like, is the is the next entry gonna just be kind of like bare bones because the previous entry was like so vastly improved by DLC? Yeah, uh, Brave New World basically is like <laughs> kind of redefined Civ Five. Um, but yeah, I mean, when Civ Six launched, uh, base game kind of it kind of wrapped up everything in Civ Five, religion and politics and all that into one thing. Um, but I feel like my concerns are a bit more valid in uh, this paradox game. Yeah, um, I had read some things like apparently anti popes won't be a thing, um, which is kind of odd. But also, religion gets a big rework that actually sounds like a. A deal like a big expansion to the base game in its own right. Um, yeah, in like Crusader Kings two, you'll be playing in Europe, and then suddenly your bishop or whoever will come up to you and say, oh, "Man, the Fraticelli heresy appeared," and it's like, "Excuse me, what is that?" What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, these guys they just have different beliefs all of a sudden, and it's like, "Oh, what?" Hmm. Apparently, in Crusader Kings three, all religions will be made up of a lot of tenants, so heresies can evolve more like naturally like a small doctrine that's cool it's like okay you 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 interpret this prayer differently but that's you know that's not like a heresy but then at a certain point it like gets to a point where it's like okay i i think you're a heresy and i'm like okay that's 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 much better that's yeah yeah than like hey man everybody's a cathar like, <laughs> hey man, i don't know what that means or what they believe i cannot wait to seduce the pope and have his love child <laughs> But yeah, those are my thoughts and prayers. Cool. <laughs> I had to reel it back to that spooky. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything else. <laughs> I don't have anything else. Me neither. I'm all out of Elsa's. We'll, we'll probably have our next Star Wars rewatch out um, this week. Oh, nice. Yeah, yes. we had a really good conversation about. Um, had a conversation about head cannons that are wrong. <laughs> really five. wrong. Well, I mean, so I mean, we had a really good one in episode three that was wrong, in which Rebecca, you know, <laughs> thought thought Padme was a cyborg or was going to be a cyborg. Uh, do that was have funny. Souls for episode two. Yeah, do droids have souls? That wasn't really a head cannon. It was just kind of a <laughs> question. Yeah. And then Cam tells us, spoiler alert for the, the podcast episode, I guess. Cam tells us that. Uh, his headcanon is that the Millennium Falcon flies into the worm's anus because it comes out his mouth, and we kind of shot it down. Yeah. But I'm just thinking about ways that I've maybe interpreted Star Wars that are just that wrong that I just haven't <laughs> mentioned yet, and I don't know if we'll ever know because the, I don't have any reason to mention them because I think I'm right, but I'm probably wrong. 
So <laughs> yeah, that episode will be around the corner on hitpointpals.com, uh, our next episode of Star Wars Rewatch, and we're uh, we're trying to steamroll ahead. Toward, is that even a term? I don't yeah. know. What's yeah, a steamroll? Is. is that a train? Is that a, is it's that like a train? It's a steamroller is a machine. Flatten things. Yeah. We're flattening oh, a bulldozer? No, nope. it's like a steamroller. Oh, like a steamroller. Like a, a wait, what? A, like a cousin of the bulldozer. No, not. I mean, yeah, it fl- I mean uh, I they're know. both big things. I don't know. I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah. So, well, yeah, we're trying sure. to steamroll ahead towards episode nine, <laughs> um, so we can see all those nice. We can see all the horses. When they f- I mean, we're going to see it anyway, but we're trying to get the Star Wars Rewatch podcast to coincide with the with the release of Star Wars Episode Nine, which I don't think will be a problem. I think we can do it. Lots of Star Wars to talk about. Um, and then afterwards, um, we'll get those two anthology films in there. Yeah. Like, well, I because I, I have some thoughts on Rogue One and I have some th- thoughts on Solo. I think they're both very interesting movies. And then after that, I think we might, if we want to keep talking about movies, we might rename the podcast something. I don't have any good ideas. I don't have any good names in mind. Do you guys have any good names for a movie podcast? Movie podcast? No, that's not. I mean, we could motion call it like... Motion Picture Pals? Motion Picture Pals? That's a good one. I was going to say Rewatch Pals. I'm not sure which one I like better. I like I'm Motion the, Picture I, I like, Pals. I like Motion Picture Pals, but it's kind of a mouthful. But- yeah, that's true. But it does sound nice with motion pictures. What about just picture pals? Nah, that doesn't really tell you what it's about, though. Mm-hmm. That just, just sounds, sounds like somebody nicer. in the, like, the 30s saying, we're going to go see a picture down at the movie house. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, <laughs> if we just if, if we all dedicated to that voice you just did for an entire <laughs> podcast. No, I think this movie was pretty good. <laughs> That's and just wrong, acted see? like we didn't understand what movies are. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it for us here on Hit Point Pals. Um, you can find all of our episodes as you can find, if I could talk. You can find all of our episodes as always on hitpointpals.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at hitpointpals. That's all for this week. We'll see you all next time. kind of hungry so i'm gonna go get a quick snack and i'll be right back a a haunted snack (laughs) i hear if you open a bag of cheetos past one in the morning the ghost of chester cheetah shows up is chester cheetah dead (laughs) he's not even real <laughs> they, add it, they, they, they make a commercial for Cheetos where Chester Cheetah dies. I mean, yeah, they're missing out on a good opportunity to do some sort of like Cheetos lore and like headcanon stuff. <laughs>
just establish the canon of Cheetos or of Chester Cheetos. I don't know. The Cheetos extended universe. Oh, yes. But what is Chester Cheetah? He's a cheetah. Yeah, but he's like an anthropomorphic cheetah? Yes. What's his relation to Cheetos? He just looks like one? I guess he just hawks their product. He just sells it around. So he's like a baseball game, like, mascot. Yeah, he's just very cool. Do mascots sell snacks at baseball games? I don't think so. I think they just dance. I don't think so field. either. I'm not sure I why I said that. it's concession people who are just like, hey, come on, get your peanuts. Hey, buy a hot dog. Hey. Yeah, I suppose if you were a mascot and you were also assigned the double duty of selling things, that would be very difficult because you would have like these big hands. You have a huge suit and you're walking up well. and down flights of stairs. Yeah. It's a great way to become a ghost. <laughs> I'm just looking at the Chester Cheetah Twitter account. Oh. There's a there's some pictures in here that, uh, not gonna lie, they look like they would actually be very yummy. Of like Cheetos inspired dishes, like <laughs> kimchi nachos with flaming hot Cheetos. Oh, there's one that I'm very iffy on: uh, flaming hot Cheetos and sushi. There's something about this account where, it, like, it doesn't annoy me as much as some of the other, like, brand accounts that seem to have like uh, very excited social media people running them, who are like very online or whatever. I don't I don't know how to describe it exactly. There's like there's nothing here that like offends my sensibilities really. Yeah. They're not like starting beef with other companies or anything, I don't think. Yeah. Wow, Wendy's just snapped back. <laughs> wow. I love me some corporate Twitter. Do you think ghosts have Twitter? I don't think so, mm, because enough. I think you have to be corporeal to like, well, I think ghosts can definitely haunt the internet and like exist within wires, so Cyber maybe. ghosts, damn. Yeah, I think that's definitely a type of ghost. I've returned. Thanks for your patience. Oh, hello. We were just discussing whether or not you have to be corporeal to make a Twitter account. Oh. And I suggested the idea of ghosts that exist online and w like inside of wires and who haunt technology. Hmm, that's an interesting thought. Maybe that's why <laughs> technology is so bad sometimes and it just falls apart. Yeah, I mean, there was the time Will and I went to a film oh, festival, in, in, in the, a very tiny <laughs> film festival, the Ellensburg Film Festival. Oh yeah, and um, we went to we went to a variety of screenings. Yeah, and on more than one occasion, there was this woman there who was kind of in charge of like announcing the films and stuff. And on more than one occasion, we heard her talk uh, talk about technology as though it was a spiritual entity, not in her speech, but just kind of like. Once in her speech, actually, but we heard her talking to like the tech people and stuff, and saying stuff like, "We, I, like, I, I hope the, I hope the, like, the tech goblins, are, gremlins, it was tech. I, I hope the tech gremlins are feeling favor, favorable today, and that everything goes very smoothly and stuff like that." So, hmm. she was, a, she was a very interesting person. That is she, she very interesting. To, yeah, she seemed to believe that uh, whether or not technology succeeds or fails is not based on how you set up the infrastructure but rather 
how the entities within the technology are currently <laughs> feeling. The tech goblins, gremlins? The tech gremlins is what she said at one point. She might have had other uh, canon entities that she believed in, but the one that we remember <laughs> for sure is the tech gremlins. This sort of reminds me of this one substitute teacher that I had in elementary school, Mrs. Adams. She actually lived really close to me. She was really mean. I remember she stole my, um, she didn't steal. I was playing with a bouncy ball, I think during like a reading circle and she took it away from me and never gave it back. Damn. Um, so yeah, I really hated her, but she would talk about the, like the little green men that would like oh. cause ruckus in the classroom. Hmm? Or like cause problems or like misplace things that she'd lost. And we always ask, like, oh, how do you know that they're green if you've never seen them? And she was just <laughs> like, Well, I just call them the little green men. <laughs> I, I think that's fair. Like if you believe there's a force, but you've never seen it. I mean, and you just wanna you just wanna create an image of it for yourself, just mm -hmm. so you have something to hold on to. Yeah, but um, I always imagined them as like little gremlins, so that's why they're related to what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> but not related to technology ghosts, more just like little little ghosts in general, invisible ghosts, invisible goblins. What's I guess never mind. That was a kind of a stupid question. <laughs> okay. I'll ask it anyway because I it's fine. Um, okay. Like, what's the difference between like something that's just like invisible, like an invisible force, like the little green men, or mm. a ghost? Like, does a ghost have to be like somebody's like soul or something like that? In our sort of like lo-fi fantasy, or not lo-fi, low-fantasy world where we're not even sure if ghosts exist. Um, I think that if ghosts exist, I think that they kind of exist in like a parallel reality sort of situation. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why you can't see them. And that's why like you can walk through a ghost and stuff. But if you're talking about something that's literally like H.G. Wells, the Invisible Man, then I think that's in our reality and it just has no reflective properties whatsoever. You just can't see it. Fair. Like the wind but a person. I don't know. Does that answer the question? I mean, how can we know about any of this? I mean, I mean, fundamentally. How do you guys want to start the discussion on horror games or horror as a genre? How do we define a, a genre? I can't, I can't feel a genre. I can't reach out and physically grab a Is genre. Is a genre a ghost? Is a genre, Is a genre an invisible force? <laughs> okay, we can start there.